one of the wonderful things about food waste is it's kind of a nonpartisan issue. There's no one in this equation that's like, yeah, I love how much we're wasting. Like, no, nobody's about it. So anytime we can say to a farmer, hey, we're going to help you waste less, make more money off what you're growing and feed more people, you know, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. everyone and welcome back to episode 45 of That's So Maven. I am officially back from Grand Cayman. It was such an incredible trip. I feel like I really got to experience the island and beyond that just had a lot of sort of breakthrough moments, moments of realization around where I've maybe, you know, had some toxic or just like non-helpful thoughts. You know, when you, you realize that like the way you've been thinking about something actually isn't serving you. Well, I had a lot of those over the past week, so just really grateful for the experience. Definitely check out the blog. It should be live, the blog post and the video that I recorded. It should be live by the end of the week, so definitely stay tuned for that. But today, we are, we're doing the podcast, so it is an awesome episode, and we are talking about one of my favorite things just in life in general, and I don't think anybody is going to be surprised by this, but it's imperfect produce. So if you've, you know, stayed up to date on the blog or on social media, you know that I adore the company Imperfect Produce. They are a company that's helping to reduce food waste in so many cities and hopefully expanding. We're going to talk about where they're located and where they will hopefully expand to. Uh, But also in the process of helping to reduce food waste, they're helping customers save money and really trying to change our perception of what makes our fruits and veggies good for us. And oftentimes we get really caught up on sort of the exterior of it when so much of the powerhouse nutrients are inside and have really nothing to do with how it looks. So, you know, in many ways, I feel like what they're doing as a company can also be extrapolated to, you know, so many of our negative thoughts that we have around life and body image and all of that. But we're going to get into more of that in the show. We're going to talk about how Imperfect Produce came to be and sort of their overall message the problem that is food waste in this country and how big this problem actually is, and also some ideas for ways that you can tackle it yourself at home. You know, I didn't want to just talk about how big the problem is. I wanted to be able to provide some solutions, and that's something that as a company, Imperfect Produce is doing really, really well. They totally recognize that you know, they are providing a service with their weekly CSA boxes, but they aren't able to access everyone in the country just yet. So they also provide a lot of resources to people who don't have access to imperfect produce to be able to be more sustainable in their choices and help reduce their own personal food waste. So I'm really excited about this episode. If you guys are loving the podcast, I so appreciate any reviews that you want to leave on iTunes. I know there's been a bunch of you lately who have left reviews and I've been so, so grateful for them. I read every single one. I truly do. And oftentimes message the people after the fact to say thank you. So you'll know that if you've left a review because I've probably messaged you. But if not, I'm getting to you. And if you would like to leave one, I would be so eternally grateful. It just helps us bring more people on the show, more companies like this that are doing amazing things for our planet, for our bodies, for our overall health and wellness. And before we jump into the show, make sure you stay tuned till the end to find out who's coming up next week on the show. And also just a couple little news, PSAs and whatnot 
not so that you guys are up to date. So hang around for that at the end of the show. All right, here's Riley. Hi, Riley. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. It's great to be here. So excited to have you. As I'm sure all the listeners are aware of, I'm Imperfect Produce's biggest fan. I absolutely adore your company. Everyone who works for Imperfect has been so nice to just communicate with, to be you know, working with and, you know, be able to support a company that is doing amazing things for our planet. So I truly am honored to have you here today. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me to hear. It's a big team effort over here at Imperfect, but really uh, bigger than just the company. You know, it's it's a whole community we're a part of in kind of the waste reduction movement and we can't do it alone. So, you know, we need people like you to be fired up about this stuff to make what we're doing happen. And so it's just awesome to have, you know, advocates out there in the world. So thank you for your support. Oh, thank you. So if you wouldn't mind telling the listeners a bit more about what Imperfect Produce is and also your involvement and your role within it. Absolutely. So Imperfect is a company that delivers produce to your door. And the produce that we deliver is what's known as ugly produce, uh, which sounds like a harsh term. But what it really means is this is stuff that has minor cosmetic issues. That means that grocery stores won't buy it, um, but it's still perfectly delicious, perfectly healthy, perfectly awesome produce that often goes to waste every year just because it's a little too big, a little too small, a little too asymmetrical or discolored for supermarket display cases. But it's absolutely nutritious and really awesome to cook with. And so we're sourcing this stuff, this ugly produce. We're sourcing it directly from farms and delivering it to people all over the country. So you get to help fight food waste. You get to have you know your groceries conveniently delivered to your door, and you, you get to feel good and have fun in the kitchen while you're doing it. So it's kind of a win for everybody. Totally. And in terms of your role, I mean, we see you every week on Instagram stories and behind the scenes, but you know, what is, what does your role include? Is it mainly, you know, content creation, marketing? I'd love to hear just a bit more about you. Sure. Yeah. I have a really fun job at Imperfect. My job, my, my title is technically the content manager, but what that means is basically just telling our story uh, for the world. So I do that all in a lot of different forms. You know, we send out a newsletter every week to all of our customers where we'll kind of round up our favorite, maybe it's a recipe, a waste fighting trick, an event that our customers should know about. Um, and then we're also putting together social media posts every every day, every week, you know, things on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, we're, we're lucky to have a pretty fun story to tell. It's a very visual product and a visual experience, you know, and uh, fruits and vegetables are unapologetically colorful and beautiful on their own. So we just kind of get to let them be the stars and, and help them shine. Um, but yeah, the, a big fun part of it is the Instagram stories every week. We do one every Tuesday called Transparency Tuesday, where we try to kind of take people behind the scenes, both of our company, but also of the produce and educate them a little bit about where it's coming from and, you know, why it might go to waste. Um, and then we do one every Wednesday called What Do I Do With This Wednesday, where our, our goal is basically to empower people to take some more risks in the kitchen, to become better cooks, to have fun, to get really comfortable cooking intuitively with a lot of different produce. Because the reality is, you know, we're delivering whole fruits and vegetables. So you do have to, you know, be handy with a knife and know how to peel and roast and saute stuff. But uh, that's kind of part of the fun. You know, we hear from a lot of customers that they love getting a different box every week because it kind of makes them feel like they're on Chopped or one of those shows where it's kind of an adventure and a challenge every time. Totally. And that's something that I love about the boxes is that it features all different produce. So I'm someone who likes to have a bit of choice. So it's nice for me to be able to choose things. But I also try and challenge myself to order things that are kind of out of my comfort zone or things that I haven't used before. So I think 
lately I've been getting the, I can't pronounce the name of it, but it's a type of mushroom that I had never tried before. And it's delicious. It's so good. And it was something that I never would have thought to have ordered. Definitely would not have picked up in the grocery store. So it's almost like having a very visual grocery experience because you can see all the things and challenge yourself to new ones and also be able to pick some of the ones that you need in your kitchen, like onions or garlic and stuff like that, that, you know, we all need, but we might as well be supporting the planet while we do that. Totally. That's really awesome to hear. Is it the shimeji mushroom? Is that what it was? Yeah, I was going to attempt to say it, but I figured I'd better save myself and let you do it. For sure. I mean, to be fair, full disclosure, I may be pronouncing it wrong. So if you're listening to this and I pronounced that mushroom incorrectly, I apologize. I'm doing my best, but I too am imperfect. Totally. I love that. And I love that that's something that is very much a part of the company is celebrating our differences. And, you know, I hosted an event with Imperfect a couple of weeks ago that was all about, you know, being an imperfect human and how that makes us unique and special and beautiful and how boring it would be if we were so perfect. So I really love that that's a part of your story. And I'm curious to hear if that has been something that, you know, has been a part of Imperfect since the beginning. Like I'd love to kind of hear the inception story and and why you decided to pick food waste as a problem to tackle. Yeah, that's a really, really lovely, wonderful question. Basically, uh, Imperfect started when our CEO, Ben Simon, um, back when he was an undergrad at University of Maryland, he noticed that a lot of food was going to waste on his college cafeteria. You know, anyone that's been in a big food service setting, like even even just, you know, on a restaurant floor, or, you know, anytime you see a buffet or, you know, even if you're just hosting a picnic, you know, most of the time you notice that a lot, at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff doesn't get eaten and often ends up getting tossed, which is really tragic. So Ben saw this on his college cafeteria and said, this is a shame, like this could be feeding people. So as an undergrad, he started this organization called the Food Recovery Network. And through that work was networking with students all over um, America, all across the country, trying to prevent food waste on college campuses. And so he kind of got his, you know, his taste for fighting food waste through that. You know, he met one of our co-founders, Ben Chesler who helped him kind of scale the food recovery network. And through that work, and this is something I love about the story of fighting waste, is it's one of those awesome sweaters that once you start to unravel it, you kind of discover more and more empowering things along the way. So basically, they started off fighting food waste on college cafeterias, but once they learned more about the problem, they realized that they could make an even bigger impact if they could be diverting the stuff that never even made it off the farm or, you know, got sold, you know, at a loss on the farm level to things like animal feed or to processed food when really it was being grown to feed people. Like basically every step of the way they learned that there were more ways that this food could be feeding people. And that's kind of the best outcome of all. So that inspired them to kind of take their work to the next level. And in uh, August of 2015, they founded Imperfect Produce with our third um, co-founder, Ron Clark, who had decades of experience in the produce world. So he kind of helped them bridge the gap from the kind of consumer side to the really farm produce level and basically start diverting produce from the farm level, you know, keeping it out of the landfill and helping it go to feed people. Um, So we, yeah, we started just over two years ago in the summer of 2015. And originally it was just in the Bay Area. And since then we've expanded to five cities across the country. So it's a quite exciting time to be to be at Imperfect. I love watching you guys grow. I feel really lucky that I live in a city where I have access to it. So I think the five cities and you can, this is a test. This is a true test for me. So I think it's San Francisco, LA, Portland, Seattle, Chicago. That's correct. You nailed the test. Awesome. awesome. I, I think you should hire me because clearly I'm very <laughs> passionate about this. But 
I love being a part of, you know, your beginnings because I know that this movement is just going to pick up and continue to grow. But I'm curious to hear, you know, how do you establish those relationships with farmers? Is it something where, you know, at the beginning you were having to seek them out and pitching this new idea to them and and now that it's more well known, people are approaching you or how do those relationships develop? That's a really wonderful question. Um, basically, it's a two-way conversation. Our, our relationship with farmers is a two-way dialogue every day. Um, you know, thankfully, our supply team has decades of produce sourcing experience, so we have a really awesome, almost like agricultural Avengers team who come to us from all sorts of different backgrounds, produce buying, and you know, um, you know, we have a really wonderful woman, Megan, who studied uh, food and agriculture at UC Davis and came to us kind of fresh out of that. Um, Ron, our, one of our co-founders, you know, came to us having decades in the produce world, most recently doing this program uh, called Farm to Family, where basically they were working to source ugly produce and get it to food banks um, all across California. And so they, they had been sourcing, you know, a lot of produce for that. And But similar to the Benz who founded the Food Recovery Network, Ron realized that what I'm doing is awesome, but I could have an even bigger impact um, if I found a way to get this to more people outside of just food pantries. Because the sad reality of our food system right now is there's more produce going to waste than all the food banks in the country could absorb, even if we could get it to them. So you know, Ron is really fond of saying, and I love this quote, it's basically that you know the problems of hunger are not uh, supply problems. They're not, um, we, it's not like we're not growing enough food, it's distribution problems. We just don't have the means to get them everywhere where it's needed, right? So w part of what the supply team does is just help kind of solve this logistical puzzle of getting food from farms all over, you know, California and Oregon and Washington and, you know, the Midwest and beyond to where it's needed to people's homes. Um, because traditionally, the farmers really had bad outcomes with their ugly produce. They they would basically have to write it off as a loss as they planted the fields because they, they knew that stores wouldn't buy it if it had cosmetic issues. And some years stores wouldn't buy it just because there was too much of it on the market. You know, if the market's flooded with kale and you're a kale farmer, it's tragic. But sometimes it's actually more expensive to pick, chill, pack and store the kale than it is to just leave it in the field and till it back under, um, which is really ridiculous. Um, so, you know, the supply team's real challenge every day is is being in dialogue with farmers about their products. Um, but basically, it's a relationship built on trust, you know, really, uh, the the sourcing world, and that's a big piece of what we do is produce sourcing, is, is built on trust, and that trust has to be built over time. So, you know, when we first started, you know, we had a couple – growers that, that Ron had worked with previously that, you know, were willing to take a chance on us. And each, you know, week and month since then, you know, more and more people have found out about what we're doing. And from the farmer's perspective, once they understand that we're helping them make, you know, more money per acre off what they're growing and feed more people, which is what all this produce is meant for, uh, they're on board, you know, the farmers hate waste too. There's, I think, one of the wonderful things about food waste is it's kind of a nonpartisan issue. There's no one in this equation that's like, yeah, I love how much we're wasting. Like, no, nobody's about it. Um, so anytime we can say to a farmer, hey, we're going to help you wait, waste less, make some more money off what you're growing and feed more people, you know, it's it's kind of a no-brainer. It's just a question of like, okay, how can we make this happen? And yeah, there's logistics in terms of shipping and packing and all that, but uh, it's not a hard sell for the farmers. Totally. And I don't think it's a hard sell for the consumers. I mean, really, it's more about education. And I think that that's something where when, you know, the average person hears food waste, they think about 
those carrots that have sat in their fridge for a little too long and have gone bad and now they need to throw them out or recycle them. But the problem is actually much larger than what's happening on an individual level, which of course is super important for us to understand and tackle. But in terms of like a a global or maybe we focus more on sort of a, a national scale, how big is this problem? Yeah, that's a really good question. The problem of food waste is enormous, um, which, and I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer because there's so many sad statistics about food waste that it, it can seem really overwhelming. But I always remind people that anytime you see a problem, especially an environmental problem like food waste, and it seems really big and overwhelming and scary, its size also tells you how many points of intervention there are, right? So a problem as big as food waste has so many different starting points for addressing it. But I mean, just to talk about the stats here, I mean, let's start with the US, right? So we were wasting billions of pounds of produce every year in California alone. So in perfect space out of San Francisco. So in California, we're wasting over 3 billion pounds of produce every year. That's stuff that's that's never getting to feed people, which is a tragedy. And the real tragedy is that it's not just food that's going to waste because food has a lot of inputs, right? So anytime we're wasting food, we are also wasting all the water, fossil fuels, fertilizer, land, labor that went into growing it, right? So it's about a quarter of our water supply in the U.S. is wasted every year in the form of uneaten food, right? That's over $172 billion of wasted water, right? All said and done, it's we're spending over $220 billion each year as a country growing, transporting, and processing food that goes to waste. Um, so it's, you know, if you're looking at, it's almost as if you had a house that was really poorly insulated and your heating bill was just astronomically high for no reason. And then it's like, oh yeah, if, if, if I insulate my house a little bit better, then I'm not just like literally bleeding heat out into the atmosphere, right? So we have a, a, an inefficient food system in a lot of ways. And so the stats definitely speak to that. And it, it can be really gut-wrenching to read them. You know, things like basically if all the land we cultivate growing food that goes to waste were in one place, it would be about three-quarters of the size of California, right? Like that's a really sobering stat. Um, but at the same time, it's also an invitation for all of us to find a way to help. Because as you said earlier, it's an individual problem. Like I'm, you know, you said the, the bin of carrots, I'm guilty of that. There, there've been times where I've had, uh, you know, something I bought too much of and it rolls around sadly in my fridge and then it gets soft and then I compost it and that's too bad. Um, but it's bigger than the individual level too. It's, you know, workplaces, it's, um, government, you know, organizations, it's restaurants, it's stuff on the farm, it's stuff in transport and how we chill and store produce. So, Every link in the chain, yeah, right now it's a pretty uh, pretty leaky boat, but all of the, the holes, right, they're, they tell us, you know, where to address the problem, right? So, yeah, like, it's a question of how you plan your meals and shopping smarter and not shopping just to have stuff. The shopping to have stuff that you know you have a plan for and are going to use. You know, it's things like if you're planning a big uh, picnic or, or event, you know, finding a, a, a cool outlet for whatever is leftover or making the guests, you know, take home some leftovers, right? It's, you know, talking to your school or your church or your whatever, you know, organization you're a part of to say, hey, how can we be a part of the solution? You know, it could be volunteering at a food bank. It could be lobbying your representative to make sure that they're wasting less food on a statewide level. Like there's so many ways to get involved. So it's absolutely an enormous problem and I don't want to downplay that, but I do want to also invite everyone listening to think about how empowering that is in a way that this is something we can all have a part in fixing. Definitely. And I think even just starting with imperfect produce, which is a really great option where 
you're choosing to buy produce that maybe isn't the most beautiful or what you would get in a conventional grocery store, but is equally as delicious and like half the price, (laughs) which is amazing. And I think that that will change consumer demand. You know, once more people have exposure to what an ugly apple tastes like, it's suddenly like, why am I spending so much more for that perfectly unbruised apple? And I think that that's something that, you know, it, it starts small, it starts on an individual level. And, you know, there is no expectation that imperfect, you know, change and fix everything. But I think what you're doing by just exposing consumers to what it means to eat ugly produce is a great place to start. Totally. And I love that you guys provide a lot of education and you do it in such a fun way. And one thing that I learned from you guys is that it isn't always beneficial to eat seasonally. And I think this was on an Instagram story a couple of weeks ago where you were talking about how sometimes eating seasonally can actually, you know, lead to more food waste. Can you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, to be to be clear, I think everyone should eat seasonally. What, what I would say people should be careful of is what I guess I would call fad seasonal eating, which is getting really into one ingredient for a day or a week or like a holiday and forgetting that to have that ingredient in stores at all, farmers are planting acres of it and they're going to have it, you know, in their fields or on their trees for months. So something like, let's say we're just coming out of the mandarin orange season, or we're still in the the thick of it really. But if you walk into a store right now, I bet you would think that the season had ended because a lot of stores don't want to stock mandarin oranges after Christmas because they're a trendy holiday gift, you know, that people want to have around. So stores will buy a ton of them right before Christmas and then kind of lose interest. Right. And we see this happen with pumpkins in and around Halloween, Um, You know, we see this happen with squashes right before Thanksgiving. Everybody wants squash. And then afterwards, it's like, wait, squash, what's that? Is that a racket sport? Like people (laughs) lose interest. And, you know, it's I think we're a very trend conscious food public these days. And that's great in a lot of ways. But I I guess the way I would say is it's important to have like seasonal loyalty for produce. Like if you're going to get into a seasonal food, that means really committing to it for the duration of the season. Right. So in a lot of ways, I guess that's kind of not the most glamorous way to think about eating. Like, oh, wow, does that mean I have to eat sweet potatoes for months? And on some level, it's like, yeah, you have to gain this comfort and familiarity with produce. But that's also, I think, an invitation. Again, all these challenges are invitations. Like that's an invitation to get really crafty as a cook. So if you're going to eat seasonally, that means you're going to be eating squash for three months out of the year conservatively, right? So that means you're going to have to have a repertoire of at least like three or four or five squash recipes that you really like. And so, you know, getting comfortable with the different ways of preparing them, like what's it like roasting versus sauteing versus steaming versus frying? What are the different varieties? Like how would you prepare a spaghetti squash differently than, you know, a kabocha squash or a butternut squash or an acorn squash? So, yeah, it, it involves committing to a, a season and a type of produce, but th- that commitment is also a really awesome and enriching learning opportunity. Definitely. And I did want to kind of jump into the conversation of eating locally because, you know, for us, we live in California, we have access to local fruits and vegetables, but what does it mean for people who don't have access to local produce? Or what if, you know, the season looks different in a different area than it does? You know, California doesn't get a a deep winter where you necessarily want to be eating squash all the time. Whereas, you know, someone who lives in Chicago has a deep winter, squash is what they have access to most of the time. Is that something that you should be concerned about in terms of like 
eating locally if you don't necessarily have access to local fruits and vegetables year round? Yeah, that's a really wonderful question. And you've really, you know, jumped right into the heart of, you know, the challenge of, of eating sustainably and seasonally, which is that, you know, all decisions we make as eaters are kind of bordered by these compromises, right? And as you said, you know, living here in California, we have the good fortune to, to not have to make hard compromises in terms of produce for most of the year. Like we're blessed with a pretty mild climate here. So in California, especially if you live in, you know, Northern California, uh, or really anywhere around the, the big central valley where that's just so full of produce and, you know, cultivated all year round, it's pretty easy to eat locally or relatively locally. You know, most of the nation's avocados come from Southern California, you know, just outside of San Diego and Santa Barbara, similar with citrus fruits like lemons and limes and oranges and, and, you know, you name it, we, we grow it here in California. Um, so for, for us, it's not as much of a challenge. For, for people living elsewhere, it, it is a question of compromise. And so, you know, we're, we're not in the business of telling people how to eat, right? Like, ultimately, this is something people have to decide what's right for them in terms of both, uh, you know, their environmental principles, their, you know, budget and their wallet, you know, what their families are interested in eating. You know, if, you know, you have a super hardcore vegetarian or vegan family, your your food choices are going to be different than if you're more omnivorous or, you know, you eat a ton of meat or you eat a ton of eggs or dairy. Um, I think the reality is if you live somewhere cold, like you have to get uh, kind of scrappier in the winter. And I mean that pretty, pretty literally. Uh, that's either going to be sourcing, getting your produce from farther away. You know, if you live in Chicago or Milwaukee or Green Bay, a lot of your produce in the winter is going to be coming from Mexico or California because that's where it's warm enough to be growing it. So you either make peace with buying stuff from farther away for part of the year or you do what people have done for hundreds and thousands of years and embrace kind of the scrappy, nifty ways to keep uh, food around during the colder months, things like pickling, fermenting. Uh, preservation techniques, you know, the, the idea of the root cellar emerged out of, you know, having to keep produce fresh uh, year round. And so it's it's always going to be governed by compromises. I think it's easy yeah, for those of us living in Northern California, it's easy to kind of be spoiled and think, oh, yeah, I can just get whatever I want all year round. And I, you know, I can have avocado on toast in January because I live in San Francisco. But it's important to remember that, you know, historically eating has been a, an, a game of compromise. And so, the, a lot of the the ways to solve that actually end up being both delicious and healthy and better for the planet. You know, things like, you know, pickling and fermenting uh, your, your harvest from the summer, you know, whether that's your grocery store harvest or if you have a vegetable garden, you know, getting comfortable with canning and preserving that way. Like that is a way to extend your food dollars, you know, to eat healthier and, you know, eat, you know, seasonally all year round. Um, but, you know, there's no easy answers. Like, I feel like any really awesome, important question about food, like there's never going to be a simple feel good answer, but that's kind of all the more reason to dive into it. And like, that's what we're trying to do here at Imperfect. Totally. And I think ultimately that those decisions are up to you. You know, if you are someone who wants access to fresh fruits and vegetables year round, then I think it's perfectly fine to, you know, purchase from growers that are outside of your local area. But if it's super important to you to, you know, be as sustainable as possible, like you said, being craftier with your food and pickling and fermenting and, you know, making stocks and 
just reusing a lot of almost the entire plant um, to the best of your ability is one of the best ways to do that, which, you know, not everybody is necessarily comfortable with, but is looking for, for that kind of challenge or wants to learn more about it, which is why I love that you guys launched the New Year No Waste Challenge. So I'd love to kind of chat a little bit more about that in some of the challenges that are included in that, because I think it's a great way for people to you know, just get more comfortable with ways to use their produce. Because I think oftentimes, you know, we're, we're eating our kale and we pull all the leaves off the stems and then we just compost the stems or throw out the stems. And there's actually, you know, things that you can do with those stems. So I would love if you could talk a little bit about how people on an individual level can reduce their, their waste. Totally. That's a, I love it. It's a great question. Basically, you know, like a lot of you in 20, 2018 is underway now. And so we're thinking about what do we want to do differently and better in the new year? And, you know, as a company, we're thinking, you know, a lot of people have new year's resolutions that involve eating healthier, maybe about doing better things for the environment. Um, you know, doing things around saving money, like kind of the top goals that people have going to the new year are things that I think all of us can help each other out with. And a lot of them involve reducing our waste. So we thought, how can we make this something that's fun, that's inviting and that's participatory and really collaborative. So our whole community out there, you know, customers and, and non-customers, just anyone that's involved in this waste reduction movement can get involved. So we came up with this new year, no waste um, movement. It's really a challenge. It's like a fun challenge we're we're doing for the month of January. And the, the idea is every week we're going to be sending out, you know, six fun tips. So a total of 18 tips uh, for the next three weeks, 18 tips for 2018 for uh, a less wasteful year, right? And these are things, yeah, you can do in January with us. And then hopefully you can kind of get inspired and keep doing them all year round. Um, but it's going to be a fun kind of challenge. Basically for each one of these tips, you complete yeah, take a photo, tag us on uh, Facebook or Instagram and use the hashtag New Year No Waste. Basically, every time you share a photo of you doing one of these tips, we enter you into a drawing to win really awesome prizes. We've got a bunch of really cool companies that have signed up to basically give away kind of no waste living or kind of upcycled products. Um, you know, so Adidas has generously uh, volunteered some of their new uh, recycled plastic shoes that they're doing in collaboration with Parley. We've got Stasher Bags, who does these really awesome reusable bags on board. We're working with Hamama Greens, who does these really cool microgreen kits, and much, much more. So basically, this is a chance for people to, to have fun, to you know have the chance to win really rad prizes, and also just kind of learn more yeah, about their produce and no-waste living. Um, the one you talked about, do you want me to talk about Root to Leaf Eating? Because it sounded like you're pretty excited about that. Yeah, no, definitely. If you can chat more about that, that'd be awesome. For sure. That's one of the the most basic. Well, I mean, actually, I'll start with the first tip only because I think it's actually one of the most important things to do in your life, whether it's January, you know, 1990 or 2018 or any time is clean out your fridge. Um, Basically, cleaning out your fridge. If you haven't done it recently, friends, listen to this, go home and do it. It's like flossing your life. You will feel so good afterwards. It's just a great way to really start your year, your week, whatever phase of your life you're in, start it off on the right note. Um, Because when you deep clean your fridge, and I mean really getting in there, this isn't something to do in 10 minutes. This is something, you know, put on your favorite podcast or your favorite playlist and just get in there. You take everything out, wipe down the counters, and then really just like look at what's in there and start to organize it. Because you'll spot really interesting trends about, wow, I buy condiments like it's going to prevent the apocalypse, right? So you'll see like I'm stockpiling on stuff kind of unnecessarily. Or, you know, I always seem to buy one bunch too many of 
kale or cilantro or dill or you know whatever that that thing is you're buying a little bit too much of you'll see it there and you'll also have to make some hard decisions you have to go through some tupperware and and compost some stuff or or throw some stuff out or or make that judgment call of is this still good but as hard and kind of humbling as that is it'll allow you to take stock of how you're shopping and cooking and, and ultimately make better decisions so my, my first plug for if you're looking to have a less wasteful 2018 is get in there and clean out your fridge because um, you're just going to feel so good about it afterwards and it's going to make everything you kind of cook and, and shop for going forward feel better and just be more efficient. Totally. And I think that that's something, you know, just in general, like a clean space is a clean mind. And oftentimes when it comes to figuring out what to cook and, you know, what to eat in your daily life when you feel like your entire fridge or pantry or whatever it may be is cluttered, you're so overwhelmed that you don't even know where to begin. And oftentimes, you know, you've packed up so much stuff that you you don't even know what you have. I think a lot of us are kind of guilty of buying a lot of the same things because, everything is so cluttered that you don't even know what you already have in your possession. I think I've bought like three of the exact same spice because I just like let my spice cupboard just get too disorganized. And I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with. So I love that idea of starting there. And then let's chat a little bit about what it means to eat root to leaf. Totally. So eating root to leaf is is something that just means embracing every part of the fruits and vegetables that we buy. You never go to the mall and buy a pair of socks and then come home and throw one of the socks out. But sadly, that's how we treat food a lot of the times. You know, you bring a leek home, you chop off the roots and you chop off the greens, which is over half of the mass of the plant, and you throw it in the bin, right? Same thing, you know, you buy these big carrots with the tops attached, you're, you're pitching the carrot tops, you buy a a bulb of fennel, you throw the fronds away. And, you know, so many things that we buy, we end up throwing out a large portion of them, uh, which is it, which is wasteful and often unnecessarily wasteful. And, and it indicates kind of just a lack of, of you know, knowledge. Like we, we don't always know what to do with our carrot tops or fennel fronds or kale stems. Um, but the, the exciting thing is with all of these things, like there are really interesting, fun recipes for them and, and uses for them. So just to give some examples you know, leek greens, right, are often not used in cooking. Uh, You know, people favor the whites because they're a little sweeter and more tender, but leek greens are perfectly good sauteed, you know, added to your next pasta. Or if you just rather use them for the flavor, I highly recommend throw some leek greens in your next soup or your next batch of broth or stock. Uh, It has a really wonderful kind of herbaceous vegetal flavor it gives. Um, Same thing with fennel fronds. You know, if you buy a fennel uh, plant, from the store, you get the bulb, which is what everyone wants for their, you know, shaved fennel salad or something like that. But they'll have these long stalks with the the really kind of adorable green, uh, fluffy fronds on them. And oftentimes you'll compost that, but those are actually really good too. So you can thinly slice the fronds and put them in the salad. You can try roasting or sauteing them. Uh, but also they're another thing that's wonderful in soups or stocks or broths. So, you know, I, what I like to have is kind of a catch all, you know, bag or container that I'll keep in my freezer. So when I have things like leek greens, uh, scallion roots, fennel fronds, you know, maybe I have like a stray carrot or like half an onion that's kicking around that I don't know what to do with, I'll set it aside and freeze it. And then when I'm ready to make a batch of soup or stock, like that becomes the base of it. So you're, you're saving scraps from going to waste, but you're also building another level of flavor uh, that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. So you end up reducing waste, you end up saving money, and you end up cooking better, more interesting things. And, and that's something that I think is the, the invitation here with Root to Leaf Cooking is it's a way to make your grocery dollars go further, 
to eat better and become a better cook while also feeling better about, you know, not wasting, you know, half of your grocery bill in your grocery cart every month. Totally. And if you guys are wondering, I have a recipe for veggie stock made from veggie scraps. So I'll include it in the show notes because I think that's a really great place to start because it's super easy. You basically just add water and let that simmer for a long time and you just make more delicious stock. Um, So that's awesome. But I'd love to talk about, you know, things like like broccoli, where we end up throwing out the stems. Should we be cooking those stems? Like what are some ideas for things that, you know, we conventionally throw out where they're actually really nutritious. We just simply don't know what to do with them. Totally. Broccoli is a really great example because yeah, the stems often get thrown out. Um, they've got a really, they're, they're pretty firm. So you're going to need to give them a little bit of extra love, whether that's in the roasting tray or the saute pan, or perhaps, um, chop them smaller, but you know, they're, they're good. They're just as good sauteed or roasted as the florets. You know, they're going to have a different flavor and you might want to chop them in a different shape. You know, the florets are very tender and you can, you know, have them, you know, sauteed off in a couple of minutes. The stems, you're going to want to chop them up and, and roast them for a bit longer, but they're perfectly delicious. And another part of broccoli that's often not even on the table, quite literally are the leaves. You know, the broccoli plant, a mature broccoli plant is, you know, about two feet tall and about two feet across. And for each plant, there's the floret, the crown, which we, which is the flower of the plant. And then there's this enormous stem, most of which stays in the field. And then there's literally dozens of leaves that also get left in the field. And the leaves are basically like a slightly nuttier version of kale. And they're really delicious, but often get left behind because stores don't think uh, there's a market for them. Uh, So we've been working with Lakeside Organic uh, Gardens here in California to source broccoli leaves and deliver them. And we've heard really awesome feedback from our customers saying, wow, like this is a green I didn't even know about, but it's healthy, it's delicious, it stores well, it has a great flavor, and it's super versatile. So yeah, we kind of invite everyone to think think about what you're eating and think about kind of the whole plant and oftentimes that thing you're normally just throwing out because you're not sure what to do with it, there's probably a use for it. Um, So yeah, that's a great point. Like broccoli is delicious, but broccoli is bigger than just the flower, right? So always think beyond just the thing you're eating because there's, you know, often a lot of other stuff attached to it. And, you know, something that I've discovered as I travel around the world is how a lot of other countries are more they're just more comfortable with using the whole plant when it comes to cooking. Like, for example, I was in Israel on a press trip and one of the the women who I met there who was a chef uh, was using beet greens. And I was like, oh, what are beet greens? I'd never heard of them. And she was like, it's just the leaves that are on the beet plant. And I was like, oh, obviously that makes sense. But we're just so used to either seeing the beets already cut off from their greens or we immediately throw them out and don't think that they have any use. And, you know, I think that's something where as consumers, we need to demand that we we get the whole product, we get the whole plant and not just, you know, the the crown or just the beet on its own, but actually, you know, ask for the greens themselves. So I love, you know, seeing cooks who are more experimental, especially here in North America, using different parts of the plant that people seem to be a lot more comfortable with using outside of North America. Totally. Beet greens, that's a really good one because, you know, beets and chard are related. Uh, So as I understand it, the beet green is basically just chard. It's just the beet is bred for a big root and chard is bred for big leaves. But they're they're very similar botanically and and flavor wise. So that's a great point. Like that's another one where if you didn't know, you might just pitch it. But 
therein is a bunch of deliciousness. So it's always good to save the deliciousness. Absolutely. And one last tip that actually isn't on your list, but I just want to throw it out there for any people who have dogs. So when our dog was a puppy, our vet suggested that we take the stems from, you know, things like kale and broccoli and freeze them and give them to our dog as treats or instead of a bone because when they're really young, they can't have bones. And since then, our dog absolutely loves broccoli and kale and vegetables because that's what he got from when he was a puppy. So just a suggestion, if you know that you're definitely not going to eat the stems, you're just not into it, but you have a dog, definitely freeze them and give it to them because they they love them. And at least, you know, it's going to good use and making your your pets a little healthier. That, that's such a beautiful story. You can't see this on the air, but I'm smiling really wide right now because my mom did the same thing with our dog. Uh, my childhood dog, Tula, growing up was this really adorable, big black dog. And uh, we would give her broccoli as treats. And I always, at first I thought it was really bizarre, but we'd, we would call her, you know, Tula, broccoli, and she'd come bounding into the room. I was so excited by it. Uh, so yeah, that's another example of like, this would be something you would just you know, not necessarily know what to do with. But yeah, your dog might be enjoying it. So yeah, no, there's no need to throw stuff like that out. It's healthy and delicious for humans and non-humans alike. Exactly. So I'm just kind of curious, is there a, a piece of produce, whether it be a fruit or a vegetable, that is most commonly going to waste? Like what most, you know, in terms of what farmers are trying to, to sell or have just so much excess of, is there one that really stands out? Like a most commonly wasted? Yeah. That's a really good question. Off the top of my head, I don't I don't have like a short list of, of the most commonly wasted. Uh, basically, and well, here's, here's a way to answer that question that's interesting. And this is something people might not know about is basically the difference between field packed and shed packed produce. And what I mean by that is, so things like um, like fruit. So let's talk about like pears or lemons. They, they pick pretty much everything on the tree and then they ship them to a shed where they're then sorted. And they'll, they'll sort the stuff according to size and shape and material appearance. So a perfectly spherical, medium-sized, bright yellow lemon will be graded as a number one lemon. And those are bound for the supermarket, um, right? So then anything that let's say it's a little bit crooked or has like weird shape to it, like that might be a number two, which might get juiced. And then anything that's like really abnormal in terms of scarring or discoloration, like might get graded as a number three. And like, you know, it may or may not get juiced or processed or it may get composted. So with, with fruit, it's kind of a a question of different outcomes where it might get eaten. It might get processed. It might go to waste with things that they pick in the field, um, like broccoli, for example, or, celery or kale that's where you'll see really sad stories of whole fields of things being left behind uh due to cosmetic issues this bunch of broccoli is slightly too small this celery is slightly too scraggly you know this um batch of kale is like the leaves are a little bit too long or they're just off spec um for grocery stores that's where you'll see stuff um go to waste because of how it looks is is the field packed stuff where they're literally making the decision, is this store bound or not right then and there in the field? And, and you know, oftentimes a lot of stuff gets left behind. Um, I mean, sadly, the, like, it's hard for me to give you a simple answer because the answer changes every week based on, you know, just kind of how the fluctuations of the produce market go. You know, we'll, we'll get these kind of sob stories from farmers like they had a field 
of watermelons that had gotten some sun damage. And literally this ended up being truckloads of watermelons that couldn't go to the store and had to go to waste um, because they couldn't find a home. And so, you know, when we hear these stories, we'll say, okay, like next time, you know, give us a call. Like we're, we want to be an outlet for you. Um, but it's, it, the produce market is rough. Like this is another thing people don't think about is it's really hard uh, being a farmer for a lot of reasons. You know, it's really hard work. The, the margins are not great, but the reality is just the produce market, you know, pricing and availability and demand changes like on the hour, depending on things like weather and fuel prices and shipping. And so as a farmer, you're really at the mercy of the market a lot of times. And you might have a perfectly great batch of kale that actually has nothing wrong with it and still struggle to find a buyer because let's say the weather is warmer than expected. So the market opened up down south and suddenly, you know, they're growing kale everywhere and it's flooded. The market's flooded with cheap kale and yours doesn't command as much of a buying price. Like, you know, suddenly it can be hard to find a home for it. So uh, pretty much every piece of produce has an example of tragic waste out, out there is, is the, the answer. Um, sorry, that was a long winded answer. But, you know, once you start to unravel the sweater... <laughs> Totally. I mean, that makes sense to me because sometimes I'll get a box and, you know, what I get is is perfect. Like it essentially looks like it has no cosmetic damage to it. And that makes sense that maybe, you know, the market is just flooded. They couldn't find a buyer for it. And so I'm glad that, you know, I'm getting access to it. And other times I'll get things that I know are perfectly delicious, but don't necessarily look like how we conventionally think they should look. And, you know, it's really not that dramatic. It's things like onions that are smaller. And so I'll get, you know, six to eight smaller onions instead of two or three large onions, which is perfectly fine with me. It takes me an extra 10 seconds to cut them, you know? So I I think we just need to think outside the box a little bit in terms of what we expect our produce to look like. And I'm glad that you helped explain sort of the difference between produce that doesn't, you know, look perfect, but tastes delicious. And, and when the market just simply has too much of it and, at least we're we're getting access to it, we're giving it a good home, and we're eating delicious fruits and vegetables. So thank you for explaining that. No, of course. Yeah, my pleasure. So I'm curious, where are you guys heading to next? I don't know if you can tell me or not, but, you know, do you have a, a grand plan of North American takeover? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, basically, I mean, yeah, the, the short answer is we would love to deliver nationwide in the next couple of years. It's The end goal has always been to keep as much food from going to waste as possible. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, like just to, to give you a, a scale of reference, you know, like to date we've kept oh, just over 10 million pounds of produce from going to waste, which is really awesome. But as we talked about early in the program, there's still billions of pounds going to waste every year. So there's a, a lot more work left to be done. So we'd love to deliver nationwide you know, in pretty much every metro area that will have us um, because, you know, we'd love to be recovering billions of pounds every year instead of just millions. Uh, so that's kind of the longer term goal. You know, for now, we're in five cities. Uh, I, you know, I can't really share slash, you know, we're still figuring out kind of where the next move is. You know, we're always, you know, talking to our customers and kind of sizing up, you know, which markets like would be a great fit for us. You know, we'd lo- we'd love to be in everywhere, you know, every city, but it's going to take time to get there and we want to make sure we're growing sustainably. Uh, in the near term, our priority, I would say, is is serving the areas we're currently in better. You know, so that's serving more neighborhoods and making sure we're really keeping up the standards of quality and you know delivering our customers you know exactly what they want uh, every week. So you know, definitely, like for example, in Chicago, we launched in kind of a test pilot area around kind of the north the north side of the city, and we're looking to expand to more neighborhoods and be serving all of the city you know um, north. 
and south sides and, you know, everywhere in between as soon as we can. Um, so definitely just kind of radiating out from the hubs that we're in now, you know, looking into, you know, how can we serve San Diego from L.A.? You know, is it possible to deliver to Sacramento from the Bay Area? Like these are questions we're asking and, you know, because we're, we're looking to deliver more produce to more people and, you know, just make sure each area we're in is, is really stoked about what we're doing and excited about it and proud to be an imperfect customer so yeah, near term, definitely serving more areas, you know, especially in Chicago, like we're just getting started in Chicago. So if you're listening to this in Chicago, please know like we are trying to, we're coming to your neighborhood. It's just a question of time, um, but we are aiming to serve the whole city in the next couple of months. And then from there, yeah, it's just gonna be a question of, you know, seeing uh, who's most excited about us and kind of what, what area is going to be the best fit. So yeah, if you're listening to us, like, please shoot us an email or tag us on social, let us know, you know, I live in, you know, Denver or Fort Worth or wherever you're listening to this, you know, let us know if you want imperfect produce. You know, we always love hearing from people and, you know, we want to bring this nationwide. It's just a question of kind of what, what steps will get us there. Definitely. And if you guys are curious to see what, you know, comes in a typical imperfect produce box, I actually filmed a video where I showed you guys what I got in a box on just a random week. And it just goes to show that there is like a huge range of products. I think I also got a bottle of olive oil in it, which was kind of a cool story because you guys worked with local, I think they were California growers where they weren't able to get the certification for extra virgin for I think like the the olives froze or something for one night and as such they weren't able to get like the extra virgin qualification and so I have like perfectly amazing cold pressed olive oil for a fraction of the price and I'm also helping to you know make sure that those olives don't go to waste so not only are you guys doing produce but you're also working with companies to make great you know non-perishable products as well so I I'm really excited to see what's coming next for you. Yeah, it's an exciting time. Yeah, the the non-produce stuff has been really fun. You know, we're definitely looking to do more of that in the new year. But yeah, so for now, we have things like crystallized honey. Uh, we have this olive oil that kind of falls in a weird gray area between extra virgin and virgin. You know, perfectly delicious, but just, again, it's kind of more of a demand question. Like, there's the reality is there's just not as much demand for virgin oil. Um, so we found a, a grower that was really tr having trouble moving this awesome California olive oil. So we said, yeah, we'll, we'll take it. And, you know, we, we recently did that with brown rice as well. We have these really delicious raisins that are just this great variety that aren't popular anymore, even though, in my humble opinion, they're better than supermarket raisins. So, yeah, we, we've started to kind of uh, dig into packaged foods and, you know, unsurprisingly found that there's a ton of waste every year in packaged food as well. And so... Anytime, you know, we learn of a way we can help a company waste less and also help our customers get even more awesome stuff in their box every week, like we, we want to do it, you know, if it's sustainable and viable. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled for more types of delicious produce and also, you know, non-produce products as well going forward. Definitely. And for any of you guys listening who are members of Imperfect Produce, get the brown rice. It's so good. I actually, I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, I've never tasted rice like it. It tastes better. It has, it's short grain brown. So it has the like crunchy taste. I'm, I'm not sure what happened to this rice, but whatever happened made it far superior than any other brown rice I've ever had. <laughs> That's really awesome. What did you make with it most recently? Just like stir fries. I actually made a rice peel off with it yesterday. It just has this like a, a texture to it that is so much better than anything I've ever bought in a grocery store. Oh, that's really wonderful to hear. Yeah, I'm, I made just, uh, I cooked some off in some of my imperfect stock. Like I, I make stock pretty much every month with whatever scraps I have around. And I just cook some off in stock and I've been doing these kind of hearty rice bowls. I don't know about you, but something about 
the new year. I've just been looking to eat a lot more vegetables. Like I feel so full of, you know, just different food and drink I had over the holidays. And now all I want is like brown rice and vegetables. It's It's been good. Just like brown rice and like some sauteed vegetables and like throw, you know, half an avocado on there. It's, it's, it's the best. Yeah. I mean, produce really speaks for itself when it comes to, you know, if you're buying nutritious food, it doesn't need a whole lot to taste great. So yep. if people want to find out more about imperfect produce, where can they do that? Yeah, yeah, definitely head to our website, imperfectproduce.com, or I think we also have the domain imperfect.com. We also have imperfectpuppies.com, fun fact. So <laughs> What? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to see imperfect puppies, you'll have to wait because it'll just take you to our website. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, definitely. If you're, if you're listening to this and want to learn more, please head to our website. It's imperfect.com or imperfectproduce.com. Check us out there. You can sign up or you can just learn more. I definitely recommend reading the blog. It's a good way to learn some kind of fun backstories about the produce, about things we're up to in the community. Um, and then, you know, if you want to just kind of keep tabs on us, you know, find out when we're coming to your area or what we're up to in the world, definitely give us a follow on social media. We do a fair amount on Instagram and Facebook and we'll have fun contests and, you know, just throw out little educational tidbits or, you know, share the wackiest produce we found in the warehouse that week. Um, so that's a good way to stay up to speed about us. Yeah. Or at the very least be entertained by your weekly songs. <laughs> yeah they're a good time I, I we always like to have fun with the produce and you know like like we talked about the issue of food waste can be overwhelming and depressing but we're always trying to make uh what we do fun because ultimately eating fruits and vegetables is fun and awesome and wasting less food is fun and awesome so everything should be educational and fun and as entertaining as possible and you guys are definitely doing that. So thank you so much, Riley, for coming on the show today, for sharing more about Imperfect Produce. And to anyone listening who wants to see Imperfect in their city, definitely shout out Imperfect on Instagram or wherever it is that you want to follow them and let them know. Because if we can put pressure on them to come to our cities, to more cities across the U.S. and hopefully one day Canada and beyond, uh, it will be a really great thing for our planet and great for us as well. So Definitely stay tuned. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Huge thank you to Riley and the entire Imperfect Produce team who helped to make this episode happen. If you guys want to participate in the New Year No Waste Challenge, make sure you check out their Instagram so that you can stay up to date on details. And just in general, I would follow them on Instagram. They're really, really fun. Follow their stories. They're always coming up with really interesting and unique ways to communicate information when it comes to food waste and just produce in general, which I find that stuff pretty cool. So it's very educational, but they do it in a way that's actually fun and engaging. So would highly encourage you guys to follow them if you aren't already. And if you want to continue the conversation, whether it be around food waste or how we're treating our planet or our bodies and all of those, you know, many, many conversations in between, I would love if you joined the THM tribe. It's just an amazing supportive community of people who you can connect with on these topics. I'm there. I love chatting with you guys and so many other supportive humans are there just giving you the encouragement you need or letting you know that you're not alone in your struggles. So if you want to join that, it's just facebook.com slash group slash THM tribe. And let's chat about next week's episode. So this one is really different, a little bit out there, but I am so excited to welcome Dee Dusso, who is the founder of Ganja Yoga, onto the show. So we are going to be chatting about how to incorporate 
weed into your yoga routine. We're chatting about marijuana for your health. It's become legalized in a lot of places and increasingly is becoming more common as a way for you to support your overall health and well-being. So I think this is an important conversation for us to be having and I hope you can go into it with an open mind if it's something that, you know, you have your questions around. So hopefully this will be helpful for you. So make sure you stay tuned for that next week. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful week. Talk to you then.